Mount Hope, it's good to see you again, and I'd invite you, if you would, you want to grab your Bible uh, or open up that Bible app, you can go to Acts chapter 2. We are going to be there together in just a moment in Acts chapter 2. We're starting a new sermon series this week. We just finished coming out of Christmas time in our Advent series and talking about that, and so we're going to jump into a series now that will take us through the month of January And in this series, we're going to look at some of the experiences that the early church had in following Jesus here in Acts chapter 2. And we'll get there in a moment. But as I say that word experience, it reminds me in hearing Pastor Rick talk about uh, the experience of going from 2020 and what that was to 2021 and all that it promises to be. It's just a reminder that this year was full of experiences that we never thought we'd have. And I I wonder, as, as you're sitting there, as you're listening... What is the experience that you had last year that you just never saw coming? I know one of the biggest ones for us is we experience what it's like uh, to do all the things inside of our house that we used to leave our house to do. So every morning, Lori used to go, my wife Lori used to go off to her job, I would go off to my job, our kids would go off to school, and this year we experienced what it's like for everyone to stay at home and still try to accomplish all of those things. In fact, we're not done with that, we will do that again tomorrow. But what's the thing that you experienced this year? that you just never saw coming. I think as we flip the calendar and head into 2021, one of the things that provides us hope is this idea that this year we'll get to experience some things that are new and exciting. And some of those are things that we have never experienced before, but many of those things, if you're like me, are things that you used to experience that you haven't experienced in a while. As I look forward into this year, I cannot wait to experience the day that we can just open up the doors of the church, you all can come inside, and then we can have worship together and sing and, and do all of those things and then finish that off with everybody's favorite part, which is coffee and snacks and fellowship afterward. I really look forward to that experience. I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but my guess is there's something coming in 2021, an experience that you're looking forward to. There is one experience that I want to talk about with you this morning, that I think God's Word has something to say to us about this morning. That of all the other experiences we could have in this new year, this is the experience. That if if this would happen, it it would truly be a transformative thing. That of anything that you and I could experience this year, when you think about traveling and restaurants and family and friends and classrooms and business offices, all of those things, those experiences we're thinking about, there is one experience that you and I need above every other experience this year. If 2021 is really to be the year of hope and impact that you hope it is in your life and that I hope it is in my life and that I pray that it will be in the life of our church, there's an experience that we need to have. And that experience is that you and I need to experience God truly showing up in our lives and in our church and doing the work that only he can do. If this was truly to be a great year, a year filled with hope and promise, if this would be a year that would be full of life-changing experience and life-giving experience, the one thing that you and I need to experience individually and the thing that we need to experience corporately is God's presence among us and God doing what only he 
can do. And as I look at Acts chapter 2, as I look at this passage which talks about the earliest Christians that existed after Jesus had ascended into heaven, when I look at this passage, one thing that stands out to me is that they begin to experience God doing things that only God can do. They begin to experience things that are unquestionably the work of God in their lives and in the life of their community. I look at verse 43 in Acts chapter 2 and I read things like this. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And I look at verse 47, and I say, And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And I think, of all the experiences that I look forward to this year, the one that I really need, the one that you really need, the thing that would, that would truly change our lives and our world is if God showed up like that. And did what only he could do. The question is, how does that come about? And one of the things that I I think is so helpful in this passage is we see that the activity that God was doing and showing up in his presence in those people and the signs and the wonders and the awe and the salvation of many who were around them, that all of that activity, all of God's work, is not something that's random, it's not something that just happens out of nowhere, but it's actually tied back to some of the actions of the earliest church community. And so we're going to take a look throughout this month at the actions that the church community was taking, and we're going to ask the question, what would it look like for us at Mount Hope to do the same thing? We're in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And this is what we read about the earliest church here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'm reminded as we look at this passage that what you and I are devoted to in our lives, what you and I are devoted to in our lives, leads to the experiences that we have. What you and I are devoted to leads to the experiences that we have. We read right at the beginning of this passage that the early church was devoted to certain things. And the first thing that we read that they were devoted to is what you and I are going to talk about here for the next couple of minutes. We read here that they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. Or in other words, they were devoted to the word of God. And I'm reminded as I look at at the earliest church's devotion, these early Christians, their devotion to the word of God, and then the experience that they have with God, that in your life and my life, our experiences are, are often tied back to that which we are devoted to. If you're devoted to a certain sports team, uh, when that team 
wins or loses or things are good or things are tough. Your experiences in life, whether or not you're happy, whether or not you're sad, whether you're excited or frustrated, all of those things are tied back to your devotion. If you're not devoted to that sports team, you could care less what happens with them. Your experiences aren't tied to that at all. And that certainly happens with if, we're, if you're someone who's devoted to your family, then your experiences with your emotions and your activities are, divided, are, ba- are, are tied back to that which you are devoted to. The same thing for work or for school, whatever it is, what we're devoted to leads to the things that we experience. And what we see in this passage is that because the early church was devoted to the things of God, and more specifically for this week, devoted to to hearing God's word and studying God's word, because they were devoted to those things, they began to experience great things of God. And if that's true, if if it's true that there's a direct link between our devotion to God's word and the experience of God's presence, one of the questions that you and I need to ask ourselves, one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves as a church community is, Are we actually devoted to the Word of God? I just guess that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you want to experience God in a real and powerful way. I mean, why else would you be a follower of Jesus if you don't want to experience the power of God in your life and the presence of God in your life? And if you're like me, sometimes you see it happening maybe across the world or, or in another place and another person's life, and you wonder, why am I not experiencing that? Why is that not happening to me? I think one of the things we would be wise to ask ourselves is, does this link exist in our life? Are we truly devoted to the Word of God? And what does that look like? What we mean when we use that word devotion to God's word, I think has changed throughout the centuries. Probably it wasn't long after you followed Jesus when someone told you that you needed to do your devotions. Doing devotions is a, is a part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And almost any church that you would go to would tell you that you should be doing your devotions. And so perhaps soon after you followed Jesus, this is something that you tried to start doing, doing devotions. But what that looks like for us today looks very different than it looked like for the people who were living in the time that the book of Acts was written. You see, God's word was written during a time that people didn't have their own copies of the text. There was one copy for the entire community. And so to hear the text, people had to gather in groups and then one person or a group of people would read large portions of the text to the community and they would sit and they would listen and they would take it in for themselves and hear what God was saying through his word. But that's not how we necessarily do it today. When we say doing our devotions, we don't mean getting together corporately within the body of Christ and listening to large sections of scripture being read. We mean something different. For many of us, doing devotions means reading one or maybe two verses and then reading a paragraph, perhaps, of what someone else has written about those verses. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, and I'm not saying that it's bad. In fact, I think that can be a really helpful thing to do. But I am saying, I think we need to consider if that's truly what devotion to the Word of God looks like in our lives. 
You see, in the 15th and 16th century, as the printing press came to be, and then uh, in the 17th century, as the text began to be translated into different languages, we had a shift happen within the life of, of the church community where you used to have to come together and hear one copy of God's word read. Now you had your own copy that you could take into your house and read on your own. And in many ways, that was a wonderful thing to have happen. But it began to undo a little bit how the early church would have been devoted to the word of God. And in the 40s and the 50s, through InterVarsity and things like the Billy Graham Crusades, the idea of having a quiet time, a personal quiet time every morning began to be popularized. And now the Bible is just one more digital resource that we can Google and search for answers. And for many of us, that's the only way we interact with the Word of God is when we have a problem or we have a question about what God says. We just go to the Google search bar and we say, what does the Bible say about? And then we get a search result with all bunch of individual little verses and we read those. And that's primarily our interaction with the Bible. Well, we pick up that little devotional. And it has the one verse with a paragraph that someone else wrote. And we read that and we say, I've done my devotions. And my question is not, is that bad or is it wrong? Because I think it can be very helpful and I use it myself. My question is, is that what it looks like to be fully devoted to the word of God? My wife, Lori, and I have been married for about 14 and a half years. And I think about what it would look like if in our communication with one another, we communicated the way that you and I often communicate with the word of God. You know, God has spoken in his word and God continues to speak in his word. In fact, the primary way that God is going to communicate with you in your life with him and in your walk with him is through his word. And so God is actively speaking by his spirit through the scripture and through the text. And I can only imagine if in my marriage and in my relationship, I handled communication the way that I often handle communication with God or that we often handle communication with God. And that is, rather than going and talking to Lori and listening to everything that she has to say and all that's going on, I sent someone else in my place. And I said to that person, what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to listen to my wife. And I want you to hear everything that she has to say. And then I want you to pick one or two statements that were meaningful to you. And I want you to bring those back to me with a written paragraph of why you thought those statements were important and how I should take, what I should take those statements to mean in my life. If that's the way I handled communication with my wife, how do you think that that would go? I can promise you, without even trying it, that it would not go well. And I certainly wouldn't say, and you wouldn't say, that I was devoted to my wife. And yet that's how we often handle our devotion to God's word. We ask someone else to go and read it for us. Pick out one sentence that they found meaningful. Bring that sentence back to us along with a paragraph of why they thought it was valuable and how we ought to incorporate it in our lives. And I'm not saying that's not helpful to a certain extent. But if we are to be truly devoted to God's word, we need to keep in mind what the early church was doing, and that is coming together as the community and having the patience to listen to large chunks of his teaching. 
and what God was trying to say directly to them. You and I have the opportunity to go to the primary source through God's word and hear God's voice directly into our lives. And if we are to experience everything that God wants for us this year, if you are to experience real work of God in your life, God doing the things that only he can do, that will be tied back directly to our devotion to his word. And if that's true, that what we're devoted to leads into what we experience, there's this other question that we need to answer this morning. And that is, what does devotion mean? What does devotion actually look like? What does that word imply? Well, the Greek word that's used here in the text is a, is a word, uh, it's pronounced proskartaneo. And this Greek word could easily be translated, and I, I love this translation, could easily be translated Patiently persistent. And sometimes when this word is used in different ancient texts, it's used with the idea of struggle being inherent in the process. And so when the text says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to the word of God, what's being said there is that these believers were patiently persistent in the disciples' in the apostles' teaching, patiently persistent in the word of God, even though sometimes it was a struggle. One of the things that I hear from people, reasons that they'd rather read what someone else has written about the Bible rather than truly immerse themselves in the text on their own, is that they just don't have the knowledge to be able to do it. That the text is confusing, which I can understand, that it's complicated, which certainly it can be, that they don't have enough knowledge of all the background and all of the the things that go into it and all of the years and who wrote what and how it all fits together. And so rather than enter into the text and be confused or be overwhelmed, we just rather outsource that work to someone else. I just challenge you a little bit with that in saying that these people that we're reading about here, these were not necessarily seasoned Christians. These were not people that came to the teaching and came to God's word with all of the resources and knowledge behind them that was necessarily needed. In fact, in verse 41, if we backed up just one verse, you would read that at this this amazing moment that happened at a time called Pentecost, at the very end of a sermon that was preached by Peter, the apostle, 3,000 people put their trust in Jesus Christ in that moment. That's verse 41. 3,000 people, about 3,000 people were added to their number. And then in verse 42, we read, and they, who? Not just the people that had walked with Jesus, not just the people that had been a Christian for a while, but the brand new believers. They devoted themselves to the teaching, to God's word. And so here we have not, not people that have followed Jesus Christ for years and years and years. We have people that have followed Jesus Christ for a very short amount of time, devoting themselves, being patiently persistent in the word. And I can't help but wonder if sometimes the problem is not that the text is too complicated for us to hear what God is saying. 
but quite simply that we just give up a little too early. In the early 90s, in fact, in 1992, there was a researcher from Stanford University. Her name is Priscilla uh, Binko. And her and her team, they wanted to test a, a hypothesis that they had. What they noticed is that students uh, who grew up in, in the Japanese learning system, that those math students consistently outperformed students who had grown up in the American schooling system. And so you took students of the exact same age, and, and the students, the Japanese math students, they would constantly outperform the American math students, and people were wondering why. And research was being done as to what was wrong with the American education system, that it wasn't keeping up. And Priscilla, her team, they had a, they had a hypothesis that they wanted to test. And so here is what they did. They, they took the students, and they gave them each the exact same math problem. And it was very challenging. In fact, they knew they were giving the students a problem problem that would probably be too challenging for their age bracket. And as they watched the Japanese students and the American students deal with that problem, they observed something very interesting. The American students would give up and stop trying on average about nine and a half minutes in to trying to solve the problem. The students uh, from the Japanese schooling system those students hung on a little bit longer. In fact, for almost 14 minutes, 13.97 minutes, they would work at the problem and persist until it was either solved or they realized that they had come to a point they could go no further. In fact, on average, the Japanese students worked 40% longer than the American students. And Binko and her team, they came to the conclusion that the issue was not just that somehow one group of students was inherently brighter than another group of students. The, ch the issue was not intelligence. The issue was persistence. It wasn't about their IQ. It was about their persistence quotient. And one group outperforming the other group had to do with how long they were willing to sit and struggle with the problem. And I think for us, there's something important to, to be reminded of there. To ask ourselves, well, maybe we're not reading large portions of the text. Maybe we're not immersing ourselves in Scripture. But is the issue really that we're not smart enough to do it? Or is the issue really that we don't have the persistence built into our lives to do it? Jim Cimbala is the senior pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. And that church has reached hundreds of thousands of people through their choir and through their ministries. And he's led that church from a small gathering of just a few people in a storefront to tens of thousands of people today. And he said one of the things that has plagued him throughout his time as a pastor is that he was never, he was never academically trained the way some other pastors were. He never went to seminary, didn't have all the classes that his fellow pastors had, didn't have all the training that his fellow pastors had. But he said, the one thing I had was persistence in prayer and persistence in God's word. See, God's not necessarily looking for the, the, the people that know the most. But he does work and he does move in the people who are willing to persist and be devoted to his word. 
One thing we're reminded of in this text, one thing I want to remind you for this year, Mount Hope, is that if we want to experience God's unmistakable move among us, and who doesn't want that? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, who doesn't want God to come and do things that could only be done by him? Who doesn't want God to come and to heal and to transform lives and to save marriages and to change our relationships and to do unbelievable things among us? Who doesn't want to see hundreds of people in our communities and in our schools and in our offices being led to follow Jesus Christ? Who doesn't want to see God do those things? But if we are going to do those things, then you and I, if we're going to see those things happen, you and I have to be devoted to God's word. One thing the text reminds us of is that greater persistence in God's word leads to greater experience of God's presence. So my question for you this morning is, what would it look like for you to patiently persist in God's word this year? What would it look like for you to struggle through, not to say I don't understand and and give up, what, what would it look like for you to be devoted to the text so that God might not speak to someone who then comes and speaks to you, but speak into your life directly? What would it look like for us as a church community community to truly be able to come together and be devoted to the word of God. I believe that our persistence in doing that will lead us to a greater experience of God's presence. So maybe this year you'd open up the Bible app on your phone, that version app, and you'd just scroll through and you'd find a Bible reading plan and you would start it. And not read the ones where other people have written about the text, but just read the text for yourself and every day come to it and say, God, what are you trying to say to me? Maybe you'd do something like you'd go to the Alabaster Press website and you'd buy a copy of one of the books of the Bible completely reformatted and written in a way that looks a lot more like the books that we're used to reading so that you could sit down and you could read through the text of one of the books of the Bible all in one sitting. Maybe you download the Read Scripture app that's full of, the, of videos that are super helpful that go along with the text that will help you understand more about what you are reading. I don't know exactly what it looks like for you to become more devoted to God's word this year. But it looks like you taking a step forward in being patiently persistent. Persistent in God's word. As we close our time together this morning, we're going to do a little bit of this as a community. I know we're scattered, but we are still one in Christ, and we are the community of God. And so we have some passages that we are going to read this morning, passages from the scripture. And I'd encourage you, I don't know what you're doing right now. We've been rambling on and on, and you started uh, making lunch, or you started folding laundry, or you're walking around the house. I don't know what you're doing right now, but I'm going to invite you just to stop for a moment. And listen to what God might be saying to you through his word. That we as a community would pause and listen to God speak to us. Blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, and you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you shall be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, 
and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give an account.